Hello, hello. It is JP from The Chase Down. Today I will be going solo. My friend and co-host Ben is a little bit busy today, but I have no problem with that. Um, I'm just going to do a new type of episode for you guys called Change My Mind. Basically, I'm going to say something that I believe or mostly believe, and you can either comment on our Instagram page, our Twitter, our TikTok, our YouTube channel, all this stuff. You have avenues. You can even email at the chase down um, at Gmail. So, or you can just uh, text me if you're a friend of mine or if you have my number. So, first, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, and Donovan Mitchell are all the same player. They're just as good as each other. They just had different circumstances coming into the league. So I'll start with Donovan Mitchell because I'm pretty sure everyone recognizes him as the best out of the three, right? He's been to the playoffs every single year of his career. Um, he's a multiple-time All-Star, um, the leading scorer on the Jazz for multiple seasons, and he's widely recognized as the best player out of those three. Let's then go to Devin Booker. Devin Booker was on the Phoenix Suns. The team was absolutely horrible um, for most of his tenure there until last year when they made a finals run. Um, he has been the leading scorer on that team since he got in the league, pretty much. Um, and we all kind of know him as a 1A type of scorer. He's a guaranteed 25 a night. Okay. And then Zach Levine also entered the league with uh, basically zero talent around him or just young talent, right? Because he was paired up with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins for a bit. Um, obviously, Minnesota is still struggling today. So that kind of shows you where they are at as a franchise. So my point here, guys, if Zach Levine was drafted to Utah, right, I think it's the same exact situation. I think they still go to the playoffs every single year. I still think he probably has two or three 50-point playoff games. I think they get as far as they did with Donovan Mitchell. I think nothing changes, right? Let's say the Jazz drafted Devin Booker, right? I think the same exact thing. I think he scores 25 a night. I think they get decently far in the playoffs. I think he has a couple 50-point games, and that's about it. Now, let's say the Phoenix Suns drafted Donovan Mitchell. Same thing. I think they suck until they get Chris Paul. Um, and same with Zach Levine. They suck until they get Chris Paul. So some people think that because Donovan Mitchell is the best player on the Jazz, he's the, ones he's the one lifting the Jazz to the playoffs every year. I disagree with that statement. I like Donovan Mitchell a lot. I think he has a case to be made as like, I don't know, the 13th best player in the league. I think there's a case there. Um, but personally, having the best defensive player in the entire league since he stepped into the league and an organization like Utah, who's willing to put talent around him and spend the extra dollar and continue building through the draft while they're also succeeding. I think that's more important than what Donovan Mitchell brings personally. I love his attitude. I think his ceiling's really high too. I think he has potential to reach almost a Damian Lillard type ceiling, just a guy who can give you 28 a night with five rebounds, five assists, and just be that leader. Uh, I think that's his ceiling, but having an all-time defensive center behind you with three defensive player of the year awards um, and who just absolutely deters every single shot at the rim throughout all of the regular season, I think no matter what, 
he was going to make the playoffs as long as Rudy Gobert was there. And Joe Ingles has been there forever too, who's one of the most efficient players in the NBA. And they've just found a way to put talent around Donovan Mitchell. Um, and like my beginning case, like I think if you drop Booker into that situation and Levine into that situation, it's almost identical. And if you got, I encourage this, because this was a really, when I came up with this take, I was like, how true is it, right? Because in my head, I had just thought like their skill sets are similar, but I wanted to see what the numbers said too. Their field goal percentages are off by uh, 0.003% through 2016 to 2021, Zach Levine and Devin Booker. Uh, Their 2.0% field goal off by 0.004%, right? Their effective field goal percentage is just different. Uh, their free throw percentage, that's where you see the difference between Booker and Levine. Uh, Booker's a better uh, free throw shooter, but the assists are similar. The rebounding similar. The steal numbers are similar. The block numbers are similar. The turnover numbers are similar. Their points per game numbers are similar. Their minutes per game are similar. It's absolutely insane. If I go to, De- if I go to Donovan Mitchell, right, and I look up Devin Booker, guess what? It's the same thing. Their numbers are virtually identical. I'm talking the most minuscule difference humanly possible in some numbers. It's quite crazy. Um, And this, this is, it only provided backup to my theory that they're all similar skilled players. It's just one has a better situation than the other. Um, So I would love to see Zach Levine on a team with a good infrastructure. I would love to see uh, Devin Booker continue playing on a team with a good infrastructure because I think the Suns are heading the way that the Jazz have been since the start of uh, Donovan Mitchell's career. But yeah, I think the one difference is Donovan Mitchell got better quicker than these guys, right? So Donovan Mitchell came into the league scoring 20 points per game. That's that's pretty fantastic. Um, Devin Booker was a slower burn. Zach Levine was a slower burn. These were guys who developed into great scorers. Donovan Mitchell was a number one option the second he stepped in the league. So I think that's where you can say they differ. And I totally get that. I think that's why Donovan Mitchell is considered the best player, which I also consider him to be. But I don't think the skill gap between these three players is big enough to say, oh, if Devin Booker was on the Jazz, they'd lose more games. I don't believe that. Um, I think Donovan Mitchell's a little better passer, but that's really it between him and Booker. And he's a better three-point shooter too, but Booker just makes that up uh, by hitting more mid-ranges than Donovan Mitchell. So yeah, that that's my first change my mind. Let me know what you guys think about that one. I think that's probably going to make some Jazz fans angry, um, and reasonably so. I mean, you guys, he's your guy. He's your franchise star. I can understand why that would upset you guys. But I think if you really look at the numbers and you really think about what Zach Levine did in Chicago last year, almost being 50, 40, 90 with one of the highest usage rates in the league, I think that's crazy impressive. And Devin Booker, his efficiency from mid range is just one of the best in the entire league. He's just got to fix that three point percentage. And then is there any difference? Um, So yeah, I, I encourage you guys to look at the numbers and I encourage you guys to really look at Zach Levine and Devin Booker's seasons Uh, before you come at me. Um, But let's move on to the next one, all right? Is Luka Doncic a championship-level player? And this is going to drive people crazy. But I just want to make a point here. I see a ton of James Harden and Luka Doncic, a ton of it. And me, I don't think the way James Harden played in Houston is conducive to winning. 
I think it's conducive to getting into the playoffs, getting far, and then failing drastically. Um, James Harden really is the only blueprint for this type of play style. So it's totally plausible that Luka Doncic could carry them through the whole entire regular season, carry them through the first two rounds of the playoffs, and then step up a level and bring them a championship. That is totally plausible. And I honestly wouldn't put it past him because the way Luka's playing right now, I think at the end, at the end of his career, I think everyone's going to have him over James Harden on the all-time players list. But is the way Luka plays bad in terms of championship aspirations? Because I hate isolation heavy players. I think it really, really is not good uh, for winning. I think in the crunch time, I think it's great. But throughout the entire game, we've heard so many reports of role players on the Rockets just sitting there with their thumbs, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the ball to come for them in the corner because James Harden is doing dribble moves between his legs for 18 seconds of the 24 seconds on the shot clock. It's not fun. I think it wears out your star player. I think your other players don't like playing with you. I don't think it's conducive to winning. And I worry about that with Luca because it seems like they have the same play style in place. However, you can make the argument there's not enough talent around Luca for him to want to pass the ball. But Tim Hardaway is a pretty good player. He's a 20-point-per-game scorer. Kristaps, I know the issues with him. I'm not really – I'm just going to call him, like, an above-average role player at this point. Um, but – so I get it. I get why maybe he wouldn't want to pass the ball, but I think – I think he needs the ball out of his hands a little bit. And maybe that maybe that changes once they get a more talented player next to him, right? Like if he has a Gordon Hayward next to him, or if they have a really good guard next to him, maybe that changes. Maybe if they sign Goran Dragic, eventually, maybe he has the ball less in his hands and it, it's better for him, right? But the way he's playing right now, I'm not super in love with. I love him as a talent. I love his attitude. Uh, I think he could maybe chill with the whining about calls, but he's, uh, he's an in-your-face guy as the best player on a team, and I love that. He's absolutely great at passing the ball when he chooses to. Uh, 30, 10, and 10 is basically what you can expect from him on a given night. So, yeah, no, there's no debating he's a top 10 player in the league. I'm just curious how it affects championship aspirations. I think you got to get him more talent or you got to give him a new system where he can play off the ball a little bit, improve his catch and shoot, um, attack closeouts, people run into him at the three-point line, pump fake, get him out of your way, and then drive to the hoop and then play make from that position. Um, I think I think he has a lot more in his bag that we don't get to see just because he's so isolation heavy right now. So I don't think the play style on the Dallas Mavs is conducive to a championship or a championship run. And I think Luca is in part responsible for that. Uh, this doesn't mean I hate Luca. I love Luca. I just think there needs to be a little bit of change with his um, play style. And hopefully Jason Kidd brings that. I think there's potential that he does. Jason Kidd was a notoriously unselfish player, always passing the ball, rebounding, doing the dirty things for his teammates. And he led a team to a finals run after being, I think, one of the worst teams in the league with the Nets in, I think, 2001. So, um, yeah, so maybe Jason Kidd implements some of that, but I'm excited to see Luca this upcoming year. Hopefully I see some new stuff from him. Um, on to the next one. And this one I've kind of brought up on the podcast, but it keeps eating away at me. OKC 
is the new Philadelphia 76ers and with the tanking, right? It's the tanking. And I want to go through what Philadelphia did with the tanking. So they got all these picks by trading away players like Drew Holiday, who was like a young up-and-coming player. Um, they traded away basically all talent they had to get bums on their team so they knew they were going to lose, right? With their top picks that they received, they drafted Nerlens Noel, Joel Embiid, who's a hit. Nerlens Noel's a miss. Joel Embiid's a hit. Markel Fultz, miss. Ben Simmons, miss. It didn't lead to a championship. Did it make them relevant? Yes. So you could argue it worked. But the main reason you play in the NBA is to win a championship. And I believe when Sam Hinkie was the GM of the 76ers, he thought, hey, if we suck for five to six years, we're the worst team in the league for five to six years, we will reap the benefits of getting enough talent to bring this town a championship. What have we seen? We've seen Joel Embiid with injury problems his whole career. We've seen Ben Simmons with an unwillingness to improve. We've seen Markel Fultz with one of the weirdest injuries we've ever seen in the NBA. We've seen Nerlens Noel be a defensive stopper and then get traded away um, and not give it an extra contract, right? We've seen Michael Carter-Williams become a shell of himself on the Orlando Magic after having a Rookie of the Year uh, campaign on the 76ers, right? None of it worked, okay? If Joel Embiid wins a championship, we can say it works, right? Um, and I think that's still in the, in the cards, right? But the way the East looks now, it's, it's looking less and less likely. OKC is copying the same exact uh, format. I mean, they sit Al Horford for the whole season. Then they trade him away for Kemba Walker. Then they cut Kemba Walker because they know he's too good for the team. They attempt to trade Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the draft for Cade Cunningham. The Pistons decline. Shea's by far their best player, right? Last season, they sat Shea and Lou Dort for games they didn't need to miss. And they play Alexei Pokusevsky, who by metrics was by far the worst player in the league. Now, he's, he's a rookie, right? Skinny as all hell, showed flashes, but overall, worst player in the league due to metrics. So their strategy is to just suck ass for the next three, four, five, six years, hit big with the number one overall pick, and then start a revamp, right? What's different is they have Shea there, but they were trying to ship him. They didn't want to give him the five-year, $171 million contract that they gave him. I don't think it's going to work for OKC either. I think this is a horrible way to build a team. I think it builds a culture of losing. Um, when it is time to win, if Shea Gilgis is still on this team, does he even know how to? After winning 20 games for five years straight, is he going to know how to win a playoff series? I don't know. That seems like a tough task to ask. Uh, is Lou Dort going to know to win playoff games in five years after losing 20 games for five years in a row or winning 20 games for five years in a row? I don't think so. And you're asking a lot of young players too, right? So let's say they do hit the number one overall pick. Who's to say he's going to be good? Look at Markel Fultz. Look at Ben Simmons. I know Ben Simmons is catching a lot of flack. He's still an above average role player, but he has giant holes in his game. So what if OKC gets a player like that? What if Josh Giddy becomes what Ben Simmons is? A super tall playmaker who's unbelievable in transition, but can't score for shit and is scared to even take shots in a game. 
without the defense? What if he doesn't even become good on defense, right? That's a huge issue for them. That's a huge issue for OKC. So basically, OKC is just the new, new age Philadelphia tanking garbage strategy, and I don't think it'll pay off for them. I think, I think we see teams try this a lot, and we've seen mixed reviews on it. I think we've seen mixed reviews on it. Um, with the Mavs in Dirks last year, they, they weren't throwing games on purpose. They just weren't very talented. They wanted to send Dirk out with a good season. They just didn't have enough. They, the next year they end up getting, well, one of his last years, they end up getting Luca, right? With the Boston Celtics, they never tanked, right? Never. And they end up with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and now we have a whole new reason to be relevant, right? So it just makes you think, do you have to bottom out? Do you have to? I don't know. I don't know if you have to bottom out. I don't know if it's necessary. Um, the Bucks drafted Giannis with the 15th pick, right? And they just came off an NBA championship. So it's interesting. And only this is another interesting stat, right? Four of the last however many picks since 1998 have won a championship with their team that they were drafted with. Four. That's nothing, guys. That is nothing. So even if you do hit with the number one overall pick, are they going to win a championship in their first seven, eight years in the league? Odds say no. Odds say no. So I'm not in love with the OKC Thunder. I think it's a scummy strategy. I think it's horrible for Shea Gilgis-Alexander to have to sit through that. He should be on an all-star team, um, and he should be on a winning team. I think it's sad that he has to sit through there. Um, I don't know. Just not in love with it. Not in love with it. And I think that strategy just builds a horrible culture. And I think, I think the basketball gods realize that. Um, so we'll see. We will see. Uh, yeah. Like I said, the goal is to win a championship. Relevancy is a reward for sure. But the goal is to win a championship. Um, so we'll, we'll see if OKC wins a championship in the next eight years. I'm going to, I'm going to slam the no button. Um, but we will have to see, um, another one, this one's going to be, this one I half believe, I just want to talk it out and you guys can see what I think about this is De'Aaron Fox best for the King's future, right? Is De'Aaron Fox best for the King's future? Because I think he's a pretty good player. Uh, 25 points per game is nothing to sneeze at. That is a very, very respectable um, amount of points per game. He has done nothing but lose. And honestly, I don't know if I blame him because I think what he's been surrounded with is just absolute garbage. But if you're the Kings, right, you haven't made the playoffs the longest in the league, right? You have the longest playoff drought in the league. You have a talent like De'Aaron Fox on your team who's scoring 25 points per game, like I mentioned, seven assists, is really efficient from the floor as a point guard, needs to work on his three-point shooting, maybe needs to work on his free throw percentage a little bit as well. It's not horrible. It's 72%. That's, that's doable, right? Do you ship him off if Davian Mitchell is great? Because one that makes you younger, right? So that that keeps you, because you're not winning games in the West anyways with De'Aaron Fox, right? 
So if you could get more assets, but still kind of stay in the same spot you're in right now, because they're better than San Antonio, they're better than Houston, they're better than OKC. And I have them 12th again this year. Um, so if they stay in the same spot, but they get a giant return in assets for Deer and Fox, is that the worst? If Davian Mitchell's great, right? He provides you with defense. He, he provides you with off the dribble three-point shooting, spot up three-point shooting, and Tyrese Halliburton takes a leap to like 18 points per game with six assists or seven assists and good defense at the point guard position. Do you need De'Aaron Fox for your future? I'm sure the Knicks would give you a giant haul for him. They've been looking for a point guard for literally decades. You give them a young up-and-coming 25-point-per-game scorer who's electric in transition, and I'm sure the fans would adore him. You can pair him up with Julius Randle, Derek Rose, Nerlens Noel, Kemba Walker, some surround RJ Barrett. There's talent there to surround him with. I don't know. I think that might be good for the Kings. And some of you might be like, well, JP, didn't you just say OKC tanking is bad and the basketball gods will get them? Yes, I did say that. What the Kings are doing is different because they stay in the same spot, whether they have them or whether they don't. Because OKC was winning games last year with SGA, Al Horford, uh, Lou Dort playing. They were winning games and they willingly stopped playing those players to begin losing games. The Kings have been trying to win games forever. They just can't figure it out. So if they still win the same amount of games with De'Aaron Fox on the court, as they would with him on another team, why does it, why do you need to keep them? One, you save some money off your books. You're paying them $30 million a year. Two, you'd get a giant return in assets. I'm going to say, I don't know, three first round picks and probably two starter players with maybe a pick swap thrown in there. I think that's reasonable for a, such a young player who scores 25 points per game. So I just think it's plausible I don't know if I love it, but I think it's plausible. And I think it's worth looking into. Um, He's just, I think the Kings have already reached their ceiling. And if Davian Mitchell is good as he was in summer league, like if he brings that same type of impact to the league as he did in summer league, I don't know if, I don't know if they need De'Aaron Fox. I think they could ship Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox. And I don't know how much of a big, I don't know how big of a deal that actually would be personally. So Kings fans, you got to let me know. I, I know Kings nation is hyped on Davian Mitchell and I am too. Um, I just, I don't know. De'Aaron Fox, I don't know where he falls into this picture heading forward because I think they're going to want Davian Mitchell playing minutes. You don't spend the ninth overall pick on some bum you want to keep on the bench. I think they want him to play legitimate minutes. And I think if Buddy Heald's on the team, they want him to play minutes and De'Aaron Fox needs to play minutes. Someone's got to go. I think the most likely candidate is Buddy Heald and Davian Mitchell becomes a really good bench point guard. um, And they give him some minutes there, but you never know. You never know. They could take a huge swing and just say, Hey, Luke Walton's our coach. We're not going anywhere with him. Hey, we're not winning in the West anyway. We have teams like the New Orleans Pelicans who missed the playoffs, even the play-in, and they have a top, I don't know, 15 player with Zion, and they're not even making the playoffs. We have nowhere close to that. Let's just call it quits while we're here 
and let's try to reshuffle the deck. Um, I think it's reasonable. I think it's reasonable. Um, let's go to one more. I'm going to try to keep this one sweet and smooth and quick. Are the Nets the best roster in NBA history? Are the Nets the best roster in NBA history? Let that sink in for a second, because it probably seems like hyperbole. Hyperbole, sorry. Well, let's go through the roster. They have Joe Harris, right? One of the best three-point shooters in the league. Yes, he struggled in the playoffs, but we can't deny he is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. They have Kevin freaking Durant, who I have as a top 10 player of all time. Okay. They have James Harden, who is probably the best isolation scorer of all time. They have Kyrie Irving, who has the best handles in league history and is one of the most dynamic finishers around the rim of all time of any sizes. Right. They pair this with Blake Griffin, who is not in his peak, but is definitely an above average role player. And now they just keep adding to their bench, right? They have Patty Mills, who's a respectable scorer, can give you 12 points in a quarter because of his flamethrower shoot, flamethrower shooting. They have Paul Millsap, who is known for his defense, can really impact that side of the court, is great for playing against small ball teams just because he's around 6'9". So you can put him at the center spot if Blake's hurt or just needs a breather. This team, oh, and Cam Thomas, Cam Thomas, their um, their draft pick, who led summer league in scoring with like above thirty points per game, is just ridiculous. Uh, they got Lamarcus Aldridge back, who I think people are sleeping on because we saw him play the few games he did with the Nets, and he looked great. It definitely looked like a Blake Griffin situation where on San Antonio he just didn't feel like putting in the effort. And now that he has a championship to potentially play for, he's putting in the effort that needs to be put in. He's a great floor spacer, mid-range shooter, post scorer. He's just bigger than other guys too. He's like 6'11", 260, so he can do pretty well on the boards. Um, this team's just stacked. It's just stacked. And I know the other rosters that we have to pair them up against. Golden State, right, the 73-9 and nine team, right? And we also have the Chicago Bulls, the 72 win team. So let's just do it to Golden State. Steph Curry. So Kevin Durant to Kevin Durant. Okay, equal. Steph Curry, James Harden. I'm taking Steph. Kyrie or Klay Thompson, I'm taking Kyrie. Joe Harris or Draymond, you got to take Draymond. If you don't, you're crazy. This is where it gets a little tricky. Andre Iguodala or Blake Griffin? I think... Andre Iguodala, but just by a little. And then this is where it goes downhill. It's like Kevon Looney against uh, Patty Mills. And then like uh, LaMarcus Aldridge versus, I don't even know, Jordan Bell. You know, like it starts to get tricky. So this Nets team has the depth that Golden State didn't during the 73 win season. Um, And the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan or Kevin Durant, you're taking Michael Jordan. Uh, Scotty Pippen or James Harden. I think it's reasonable to take James Harden there, even though Scotty Pippen's an all-time great. Um, I think it's reasonable to take James Harden over him. 
Kyrie or Dennis Rodman, I'm going to take Kyrie pretty like easily. And then from there, it doesn't get close. I don't think Joe, Joe Harris or Tony Kukoc. It's, it's close. I'd actually, I'd probably take Tony Kukoc, but then the depth, the depth I give to the Nets. So it's one of those things where it's like, maybe other teams are top heavier than them, but they're not deeper than them. And I think this Nets team, like I spoke about this on other episodes, they will be able to handle any injury that comes their way. They just have scoring on scoring on scoring. Uh, they have so many options and they don't really have to worry about injuries. Uh, they can rest their players and not be concerned about it. Uh, this team talent wise should be discussed at that level. Um, I don't think they will be because their record won't be what the other team's records were. They will not approach 70 wins. I don't think just because the rest they're going to give their players, but um, yeah, one, one more, I don't know how quick this will be, but I just, this popped into my head. Um, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Atantikupo, Atantikupo. I, I don't know if I say that name right still, but can they both become top 20 players of all time? I think that's realistic. I think that's realistic. Giannis, multiple MVP awards, a defensive player of the year award, just won an NBA championship at the ripe age, I think of like 26. Um, it's just, it, it's looking up. It's looking up for both of them. I think Giannis is probably in the top 30 already. I think Jokic is well on his way. It's funny. I think in people's minds, Jokic has just like been good forever, but he's only a three-time All-Star. Um, he's three-time All-NBA as well, but he's like just starting to be on this run. Um, as a rookie, he looked super promising with his assists. Um, his second year, he looked great too. Third year looked great too, but I think these last three years is where he's really put – his game face on, but if he continues this trend, he'll be on an all NBA team for the next seven, eight years. Um, he'll be a, an 11 time all NBA. I'm assuming he'll make an all-star game every single year as well. Um, maybe in the running for one more MVP. He'll, I think they'll win a championship. I think the nuggets will win a championship. So, I mean, him and Giannis together, like both of these guys could really be in contention for like top 20 player all time slots. Um, Cause it's like, if Jokic wins a championship, right. And then he continues adding to his resume. He immediately goes above guys like Charles Barkley, um, other players who never were able to bring a championship home. Uh, he instantly surpasses them. So I'm just hopeful for both of these guys. I think it's super cool that the talent in the NBA right now is so diverse from international places. We got Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Giannis, Luka. Um, I think the world is stepping up with the basketball. I think, I think we're going to have a ton of international talent in this league. Um, so yeah, just, I'm just excited to watch the rest of these guys uh, career. I, cause I think that's both plausible for both of them. I do top 20 players of all time. I know that's such a high mark to hit and you start to think of like, who's in that range. Um, one, some of the biggest names in NBA history. So I, I think there's potential for them to reach that just based off of the way they've started their careers. I think Giannis is closer than Jokic. I think Jokic has some work to do, but Giannis, I think Giannis is almost a lock to be there. I think Jokic has the potential to be there. So yeah, guys, this is kind of just me rambling. 
thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, me and Ben will have a podcast for you very soon. Um, I think we're going to do just more stuff that we think about or um, just to kind of get some stuff of our brains in terms of basketball terms. And before you know it, the season's going to start. The season's about a month away. So me and Ben have got to do our award picks, coach of the year, MVP, champion, finals MVP, rookie of the year, all this stuff. We got a bunch to do. Um, and we got to find a way to kill, kill time before the season starts because I'm itching. I am itching for basketball right now. So thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate you guys listening. As always, if you guys like the podcast, please subscribe. Give it a review. Also, follow our Instagram page, Twitter. YouTube at the chase down pod. I think you guys will really enjoy it and uh, yeah. Peace.